Pray with me. Pray with me. Father, hear our confession this morning. We can't do this alone. We see the ideal of godly homes. We sing, Lord, and pray. And I ask today, God, that you would give us real help and tools that we might use, Lord, to make our homes the places you want them to be, especially, Lord, in these 120 days as we consecrate ourselves and consecrate our homes in prayer. We admit, Lord, we we are not experts at this. We need you to lead us, to lead our families, to follow you. To say, Father, with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I thank you, God, that you are strong to save, that you are mighty to help your people in time of need. And we ask, God, that you, our sovereign Savior, our strong fortress, our shepherd forever, would carry us as your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. God is good all the time. I take it you know that one better. We, uh, I'm going to teach you a new one today. You know, Philip Jenkins uh, tells about the growth of Christianity in places like Korea and Africa today. And he sort of traces the movement of Christianity 2,000 years ago, starting in the Middle East and then going across the known world and then up into Europe and then across to North America. And today, the great growth places for Christianity are found in the developing world. In South America, there is revival. We hear that in Africa, in our lifetimes, the percentage of believers in Christ has grown from 8% to nearly 50%. And what God has done in Korea is remarkable in every way. And Philip Jenkins asks in a recent book, why is that? Why is there revival in some places and not in other places? And Philip Yancey answers his question. Jenkins quotes him in the book and Yancey says, maybe it's because God goes where he is wanted. And I wondered, is he wanted here at Tallowood? Are we hungry and thirsty for God? Is he welcome in our homes? Is he wanted in our frenetic, chaotic schedules, would we make room for God? And as we think about prayer together these weeks, I I want you to know I do not speak to you as one who has succeeded greatly in um, prayer in my home. I I don't want you to, you you might think, well, pastors and their families just uh, pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But My own experience, if I can confess, has been more like um, Keith Green's words. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. And my prayers are cold. And I know this, that, that if we're going to devote our hearts and homes to Christ, if we're going to make 
these 120 days, these 17 weeks, starting today, going through May 28th through uh, Memorial Day weekend, if we're going to make these days count, we will need to be intentional. We will need to consecrate ourselves. And Melanie and I have been talking this week about what we're going to do with Casey this evening. We're not having worship this evening here, but we'll have it in our homes and and talking about Skyping our boys in at least once a week so that we'll each pray seven days a week, but then five days a week we will pray together over meals or before they go to sleep at night. And then two days a week um, we will take time to pray together, uh, knee to knee, hand in hand. So we begin with a commitment to individual prayer every day, seven days a week. And we might ask this question as we begin today, as we begin each day. When you wake up in the morning for these 17 weeks, ask yourself this question when you wake up. It's a simple question. Is it today? Is it today? And then here's the resolution. Then I must pray. Say the first with me. Is it today? Is it today? Then I must pray. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Pray today, consecrating our lives to prayer every day. And let's stand together as we read God's word. I called my friend, Pastor Kerry Tillman, down in Galveston this week. I said, I'm looking at four or five different texts. Which one is the very best text on the subject of personal prayer. And I gave him a list and he sent me another passage back. And I said, which one would you use? And he said, and I quote, preach them all until all heaven breaks loose. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, during the days of Jesus life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Thank you, you may be seated. Jesus is our teacher on prayer. Jesus is our constant intercessor. I read in Romans 8 last week that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and if that were not enough, Jesus at the right hand of the Father is interceding for us right now. Jesus prayed during his days on life. Jesus on earth. Jesus prays for us now and Jesus is our example in prayer. If we learn anything as we read the Gospel of Luke last week. If we learn anything as we study Jesus' life, we learn that Jesus prayed that this was an example in his life so great that his disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray. And I wondered as I looked at the examples of Jesus' prayer in the scriptures, when was Jesus' prayer at its best? 
When was Jesus' prayer at its best? And we might say, well, maybe when he was in the wilderness for those 40 days and 40 nights, or, or maybe one of those times when he prayed for healing, or when he gave thanks for the bread and the cup, the night before his crucifixion. But I would show you a better example. I think Matthew and Luke tell us about it, but Hebrews teaches us about that prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed persistently, when Jesus prayed passionately, when he prayed powerfully, when he prayed purposefully. And if we look at Jesus' prayer on that occasion in the garden of Gethsemane, what we learn is that there is one characteristic of Jesus' prayer life that set it apart from every person who has ever lived on this earth. There may be people who prayed long prayers, who prayed eloquent prayers, who prayed emphatic prayers, but nobody ever prayed with greater submission to the will of God than Jesus Christ In that garden of Gethsemane when he said, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. Do you want to pray like Jesus prayed? Is that your heart today? Could we commit together for 120 days that we will pray like Jesus prayed? Then we will need to pray persistently with perseverance. We will need to to storm the gates of heaven again and again, asking God for that which we need, praying specifically and directly, persistently. We will need to pray passionately, letting not our prayers um, be without heart when we speak, never perfunctory, but passionate. We, we will need to pray powerfully, believing that our God is the God who is able. We will need to pray purposefully with intentionality. When you look at Jesus' prayer life, you see this intimacy with the Father. You see this intensity in his prayer. But most of all, you see intentionality. And if you ask me why Jesus submitted so strongly to the will of his Father, my answer to you is because he knew what was at stake. He submitted He became obedient even to suffering. He was perfected because he knew that he was the only source of salvation for the world. That's what was at stake. And when Jerome gives the statistics of our students walking away from relationship with God when they leave home, I think you and I get a sense of how important this is. I've carried this week, I think what, what Nahum and, and Zechariah and Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Malachi called the Hebrew word, the maha of the Lord. You have to go back to the King James Version to find it, the burden of the Lord. I've not been sad, but I've carried the weight of the reality of what is at stake in my home and in your home as we pray. So let's pray like Jesus prayed. Let's pray with intimacy. Let's pray. Let's pray with persistence. Notice what it says. We'll just unpack Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. I'll mention some other verses, but stay right there. During the days of Jesus' life on earth. When when did Jesus pray? During the days of his life on earth. He, He prayed every day. Jesus prayed. Some of you are, are, are mourning people. I'll raise my hand. How many of you are mourning people like I am? 
You wake up and you say, good morning, Lord. Are you like that? How many of you are evening people? I'll raise my hand for my wife. You wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. You're just honest about that. That's the, that's the way it is for you. But, but at 11 o'clock at night, you are still going strong. You are just getting your second win. God bless you in that. When is the right time of day to pray? Well, how many of you think we should pray in the morning? Yeah, the same people who raised their hands when said they're morning people. And how many of you say we should only pray when we're actually awake? So it would be at night. Yeah. When did Jesus pray? Did Jesus pray in the morning or in the evening? Yes, he did. So, so the gospel of Mark chapter one, verse 35 tells us early in the morning before the sun came up, Jesus went out to a solitary place where he could pray. But Luke chapter six, verse 12, Luke chapter nine, verse 28 tells us Jesus went out to a mountainside. Luke chapter six, verse 12, he prayed all night long. He prayed so fervently, Luke 11, verse one, that his disciples said, teach us to pray like you pray. It was a persistent pattern in his life. It was more systematic than sporadic. But for us, it is sometimes just a a cry for help. Nothing wrong for that when everything, when all of life caves in. What then? Then we pray. I know that's not a bad time to pray, but what if it were a pattern, a consistent pattern in our lives? I see it in Daniel's life. In Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, it tells us that when his enemies wanted to stop him from becoming sort of the prime minister of that part of the world, they, they knew the only way they could get him was by accusing him of praying to the wrong God. So they passed a law that you could only pray to their God. And then they watched Daniel and he went back to his same pattern. He went to his house and he went to his room and the windows were open toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. Friends, you and I may not agree. I'm sure we don't agree with the theology of Islam. But when you see the devotion of those people praying five times a day for what they believe, can I just ask you, should they be more devoted to their prayer than the people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ? Should they pray more than I pray, more than we pray? Surely not. Surely God calls us to a prayer that is deeper than that. A recent survey said the average pastor in the United States spends only 90 seconds a day in prayer. How can we lead the people of God? And I read about John Frederick Oberlin, a pastor of an earlier generation who told his people every morning at this time for one hour, I will be praying for you. And when they walked by his house and saw the candle lit in that room and the radiant warm light coming, they walked by quietly because they knew their pastor was praying for them. Where is the pattern of prayer in our lives. I don't care if you choose the morning or the evening, but if it is today, then I must pray during the days of Jesus' life on earth with fervent, loud cries. It says, we might've been uncomfortable as Jesus' disciples. It makes you wonder how they slept through it. Here is Jesus crying out with all his might to the Father, praying with such passion and such power, with such 
intensity. We see the intimacy of his relationship with his father. That there was a relational rhythm, whether it was morning or evening, he was always praying. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. Listen, if you ask me, do you talk to your wife? And I said, every Sunday. (laughs) Wouldn't that be odd? You said, do you and and Melanie, when do you and Melanie, Melanie talk together? Right before we eat. Right before we eat, every time. Really? Would that be enough? No, morning and evening as a pattern. And then, and then when there's love, there's not only intimacy, but there's intensity. And Jesus is, is crying out to his Father and, and he can be heard. And I just want to say pr- prayer is not so much a matter of, of eloquence as it is of, of emphasis. Let, let, when you pray, Bunyan said, rather let your, your heart be without words, then let your words be without heart. Don't let your words be without heart. I remember that movie, The Apostle. I think Robert Duvall is good in every movie. I don't know. I'm a big fan of Robert Duvall. And in that movie, The Apostle, he loses his marriage and his ministry. And he's just, his whole life is coming apart. And what does he do? He prays. And I just want you to see an example of it because it caught the attention of his neighbors. Watch this. Well, that's honest, isn't it? Sometimes he talks, sometimes he yells. There's intensity there. I love what Richard Foster said. In my home, he said, prayer was not so much a form as it was a force. Not a form, not a formality, but a force in our lives. Pray, pray persistently, pray passionately, pray powerfully. It says, and Jesus prayed to the one who could. Now, I like some of the other translations, to the one who was able, to the one who was able to save him. There was this sense. Jesus prayed with faith. In fact, when he taught about prayer, he said, when I come back to earth, Luke chapter 18, verse eight, will I find faith on the earth? Now, he, he uses that in the context of telling about, remember a widow who went to a godless judge And asked him every day for what she needed. And finally he was worn out with her. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give her what she's asking. Lest she wear me out. The NIV says. Um, The ESV says, lest she beat me down. And I like a, a newer translation that says, so that she will stop attacking me. 
This is what the judge does. Now, now Jesus doesn't say, and your heavenly father is like that godless judge. Don't misinterpret that passage. He says, if a godless judge will yield to the importunity and the persistent crying out of a widow, how much more will your father, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse seven, give to his chosen ones what they need? You hear what God is saying? If a judge will respond to a widow who's bothering him, it's as if God is saying to us, go ahead, bother me. Ask me for what you need. Don't be afraid to cry out to me because because I am able to give you what you need. It says he cried out to the one, to the one, because as Evie Hill used to say, there's not but one. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because when we pray, Evie Hill says, we pray to the God who actually hears. And Jesus was heard, it says. Jesus was heard. And my pastor, Jim Hawkham, 90 years young, over in uh, Virginia, he reminds me of our Lester, uh, my pastor growing up, Jim Hawkham, who loved us from the pulpit. Um, we received a letter from him at Christmas time. And he used to say, if my people... You know these verses, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, God promises. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What if we, God's people, God's people are Christians. That's the only way I can interpret that that verse today. God's people are Christians called by the name of Christ. What if we humbled ourselves? What if we prayed? What if we turned from our wicked ways and sought the face of God? Wouldn't he keep his promise? Wouldn't he hear our prayers? Wouldn't he forgive our sins? Wouldn't he heal our land? Notice that Jesus prays purposefully. It says he was heard because of his submission, his reverent submission. It's a beautiful word that speaks of a holy hush. After Jesus cried out, listen, Matthew 26, verse 39 says in the garden, he fell on his face before God. And Luke chapter 22, verse 44 says, he sweats such great drops, they fell like drops of blood to the ground. It sounds strenuous, doesn't it? But when, when he had finished that, there was this, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And I wonder if we would submit ourselves to the will of God today so that we might be Heard. Our God loves to give good gifts to his children. One of my favorite stories of answered prayer. I'm sure I've told it to you before, but I love the story that the, the pastor tells, of Dwight Nelson tells about, about the pastor who sees a cat up in a tree and he wants to save the cat and, and he reaches up for it and it won't come down to him and he puts a bowl of milk on the ground and it won't come down and finally, you know, preachers should not try to be engineers, but he ties a rope to the tree and a, and a rope to the bumper of his car and he backs up the car so that he can pull the cat down to a level where he can, you know, this sounds like a preacher's kind of engineering. <laughs> and he backs up the car a little bit further and a little bit further and, and wouldn't you know it, the rope breaks. <laughs> and he searched the neighborhood for the cat but the cat was not to be found. And finally he prayed for the cat. He said, Lord, I commit this cat to your care. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, that's not a bad prayer, is it? A couple weeks later, he's in the grocery store and a member of his church who's a renowned cat hater has a big bag 
of cat food in her cart. He says, I have to ask. She said, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. He said, try me. She said, well, my daughter was asking again for a cat, and I told her she couldn't have a cat because our family doesn't like cats, and we've never had a cat in our family. And she said, but what if God gave me a cat? And I said, well, if God gave you a cat, you could have a cat. And she said, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. She walked out in the backyard, knelt down on her knees, and said, God, would you give me a cat? And she said, right then, boom. Now, God's primary interest in the world is not the salvation of cats. I mean no harm to those of you who love cats. I'm just saying that's not his primary interest. But he desperately cares about souls, about the souls of people. Your soul and my soul, your neighbor and my neighbor. He cares about your family and my family. And Jesus submitted there in that garden because He knew it was the only way he could become the source of salvation for all those who obey him in faith. Can I just ask you, how differently would you pray if you believed that the spiritual welfare of your family depended on that prayer on that day? How would you pray? It wouldn't be perfunctory, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be just going through the motions, would it? If you knew that the salvation of Houston depended upon the prayers of God's people, including those of us who meet in this room, how would you and I pray? We once prayed for my friend Dwight Kelly. He was the toughest guy in Falls County. He didn't want the Lord. He had a mother who prayed. She invited us to lunch with him. He didn't know we were coming, me and a preacher friend. We had a revival going on. When we came in the front door, he went out the back door, ran out the back door, got in his pickup and drove away. But later that week, he came to the revival meeting. And I remember when his boots stepped into the aisle and he walked down and received Christ as his Savior. And when I go back to Pleasant Grove Church these days and I see Dwight Kelly with his whole family in church or on a Wednesday night when his pastor's out of town and he leads prayer meeting. I remember Melly and I putting his name up on the bulletin board in our little 400 square foot apartment saying God saved Dwight Nelson in this revival and God did. Who needs to be saved in your family? Pray passionately. Pray persistently. Pray powerfully to the God who is able. Pray purposefully in submission to his will and watch God answer your prayer. They say that George McCleskey came into his his, uh, room one day after he'd been praying. His family knew about his prayer and he said, God just gave me this truth that for the next four generations, every member of my family will become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, four generations later, his Prayer has been answered. Every member of his family and those four generations, a believer in Jesus Christ. And when George McCluskey died, they put two words on his tombstone. He prayed. I wonder what they'll say about us. She made money. He had a five handicap in golf. Or will they say, someday, she prayed. He prayed. When you wake up in the morning, here's the question. Is it today? Then I must pray. 
Pray with me. Father, thank you that our lives can be transformed by your grace and for your glory. God, do not stop working in me and this church until your will is done in this place. We surrender to you, Lord. We surrender unconditionally and we ask God as we have prayed over the pews in this place in recent weeks that every heart in this place would be fully consecrated to you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.